This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. On the show today, we'll be discussing the Parallel Pathway Program for Specialist Training in Malaysia. It has been in the news quite a lot recently um, over some alleged issues uh, that are facing the um, specialists who are undergoing this program for training. And uh, I suppose if we zoom out a little bit and talk about how it's relevant for each of us, um, we would all need um, care in public hospitals at some point of our lives. Uh, And if you um, regularly or or if you have to go to a public healthcare facility, especially outside of the Klang Valley, the chances of being able to see a specialist immediately are usually slim. And this is because um, Malaysia has been plagued by a shortage of specialists across various disciplines for years now, compounded by the fact that these specialists are not usually equally distributed across the country. But uh, what we want to zoom in today on is the training aspect of specialists. And this seems to be on some precarious ground with recent news that the Parallel Pathway Program is facing problems. Now, what exactly is this program? Um, And uh, how does it um, produce train specialists for our healthcare system. We will be discussing that today with Professor Dr. Rosmawati Mohamad, Master of the Academy of Medicine, Malaysia. Prof. Rosma, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for the invitation. And uh, for those of you listening, call us with your questions or your thoughts, your opinions, um, especially if you're a medical officer, perhaps, or a specialist in training, or if you're a healthcare provider affected by um, any shortage of specialists uh, in your area of practice, please do share your experiences and challenges with us. The number is 03 You can also WhatsApp our U-Mobile number 018789 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Prof, can we start with looking at the landscape of specialist care in Malaysia first. How would you describe the current access um, for the rakyat to specialist care? Certainly. So I think it's well recognised that Malaysia has dual or dichotomous healthcare system. So hence, one can access specialist care either in the public or private sectors. And you describe the problem in accessing the public healthcare, but It is generally accessible, it is more affordable, and currently caters to two-thirds of the country's outpatient and inpatient cases. So the problem waiting time is real, and it can get longer than ever to actually access specialist consultation and procedure. On on the other hand, the private sector, of course, offer quicker access to specialists, but at a higher cost and covered usually by either out-of-pocket payments or private insurance. So I think in addition, we must also highlight that access to specialist care tends to be more readily available in urban areas, particularly in major cities, having better, not only better healthcare facilities, but also a higher concentration of specialists. So I think that sums it that yes, both are available, but maybe the longer waiting time and the cost, on the other hand. 
is this always going to be the trade-off, Prof? Um, is it working well for us? Is it sustainable? Or do we want to achieve a more ideal situation of not having to sacrifice um, the waiting or the accessibility for the lower cost or the subsidised cost? Certainly, I think this is one of the focus of the Hell White Paper. So we are really looking forward to see how the technical working groups will be proposing on how this implementation would be. And that's one of the things uh, which will be the main focus, uh, increasing or transforming service delivery and making sure the finance part is a lot more equitable so to reduce disparities. If we want to use numbers to get a sense of the situation, Prof, do we have enough specialists for our population? Um, you know, there are averages and ratios that um, we would typically benchmark to. Uh, where's Malaysia at currently? Okay, so let's use the um, common comparison. So currently, the ratio of specialists to population in Malaysia is 4 is to 10,000. So we, you compare that to the average ratio of specialists to the population across OECD countries, that's about 14.33 to 10,000. So we're, we're well below. But it's not just about the numbers, because there are variations across specialties and the other variations include factors such as the distribution of the specialists, the healthcare facilities, and also the demand for the specialist services. So I will use oncology as an example to show the dearth of specialists in this country. So globally, the ideal ratio is 10 oncologists to 1 million population, compared to the current ratio of five oncologists to 1 million population, which means that we have half the ideal ratio, but that's not all. There are more oncologists in the private sector compared to the public sector. So as already highlighted, the public sector caters for 70% of cancer care in this country. So I'm going to use a very enlightening publication last year by Dr. Herman, who is the Deputy Director of MOH Medical Development Division. And he published a paper called, How Many Doctors Do We Need in a Public Sector? and showed that oncology is in the top 10 specialty areas with low specialist production versus deficit index by the year 2030, which means that the existing production rate of specialists to the current training pathways will not be able to address the predefined needs of the specialty by the year 2030. So in the same um, paper, alarmingly, the specialty at the top of the list where the current production will not be able to meet the current quantified deficit of specialists is cardiothoracic surgery and will suffer the most critical shortage in the near future we do not resolve the current issues with the CTS parallel pathway. And again, noteworthy, Six of the 10 specialties with low specialist production versus deficit index are in the surgical disciplines. So the other five other than cardiothoracic includes urology, general surgery, pediatric surgery, 
plastic surgery and neurosurgery. So that's quite alarming. Interesting you brought up cardiothoracic surgery and um, the, the Malaysian Association for Thoracic and Cardiovascular Surgery um, made a public statement um, amidst all this news about the parallel pathway. And I'd just like to quote um, the uh, President, Dr. Bashir, who tried to illustrate the impact of the shortage of cardiothoracic surgeons. Um, only 14 heart surgeons working full-time at Ministry of Health centres currently, which means that there are hundreds and even up to more than a 1,000 patients on the waiting list for heart surgery. And uh, they could be looking at up to a one-year wait, which really, um, I guess, for patients who are in need of the surgery, one year is, it's, um, you, you can't give them a, a, a time frame like that, right? Um, yes. Prof, do you have other examples you'd like to use to illustrate the impact of specialist and surgical shortages on our population's health? Yeah, sure. Um, although the current shortage of specialists is across a variety of disciplines, which I just mentioned, these shortages are felt more strongly in cancer care because in 2023, last year, the MOS actually uh, gave a report to say that there's 50% increase in patients and death rate due to cancer over 10 years from 2012 to 2022. So I will illustrate the impact of shortage of oncologists to focus on one of the greatest unmet needs in cancer care, which is the lack of cancer centers in MOH facilities in many states across Malaysia, namely Tringano, Klantan, Pahang, and Perlis. So the shortage of oncologists and cancer centers can have several significant consequences. So when we come to cancer, we always say that it has to be early diagnosis. So the consequences include delayed diagnosis and treatment initiation, the progression of the cancer itself while waiting to see a specialist, the reduced treatment effectiveness when it's already at advanced stage, and definitely poorer health outcomes and poor survival. Now, furthermore, not just about cancer care, but specific to radiotherapy services for cancer, there is currently no radiotherapy services at all in the state of Pahang and Tringanu. So the access to specialists is a lot more critical in certain specialties than oncology is one of them. And uh, have you come across, it, I'm sure it can't be just anecdotal in nature, that, um, well, obviously some patients would um, simply pass away while waiting uh, because their health deteriorates, but um, some may choose to go to the private sector out of desperation perhaps and then suffer financially. Am I right? Yes, that's right. So, no, there are many reported cases and many of them is because of the late stage diagnosis and, and seriously already is at a critical level compared to most other countries nearly 50 percent of our cancer presentation is uh, at the advanced stage so that's already something to take note and unless we have enough oncologists to address this shortage and increase screening or rather see what are the 
optimization that we need to do to actually increase early cancer detection, we have to just address first the shortage of oncologists for cancer care. All right, Prof, thanks for depicting um, the landscape right now and what shortage means or what it looks like for us as those seeking healthcare. And we'll go for a quick break. When we come back, we will then look at training and what's happening with the Parallel Pathway Program for Specialist Training in Malaysia. I'm speaking to Professor Dr. Rosmawati Mohamad, Master of the Academy of Medicine, Malaysia. Stay tuned to Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. And my guest joining me on Zoom today, Professor Dr. Rosmawati Mohamad, Master of the Academy of Medicine Malaysia. We're discussing the Parallel Pathway Program for Specialist Training, what exactly it is, and what are the challenges that are uh, faced by this program currently. And for those who are currently undergoing it for specialist training, do call us if you have any insights, challenges of your own, or experiences you'd like to share 0377332900 WhatsApp 0187898899 or tweet us at BFM Radio So Prof um, training of specialists in order to address that shortage that we were talking about before the break what kinds of programs can you can you just give us that big picture first what kinds of programs do we have in the country for specialist training Right. So Malaysia has several programs for specialist training, both at specialty and subspecialty levels. So for now, let's just focus on the specialty training. The specialty training that's available typically occurs through the university's master's program and the parallel pathway specialist training provided by MOH, where the trainees will sit for international exams conducted by overseas royal colleges. So prior to 1973, doctors obtained their specialist qualification from overseas to be recognized as specialists. So the earliest master's program for specialists was started in 1973 by the Faculty of Medicine, University of Malaya, and presently 11 public universities and one private university offers specialist training programs. So now we have 25 different specialists or uh, master's uh, training program for the different specialties. So I don't have specific data how many are in the uh, master's or the parallel program. Suffice to say that out of the 14 specialties where they are dual, both clinical masters and the parallel pathway specialist training by MOH, there are only two specialties where currently there are more trainees in the parallel pathway specialist training compared to the master's program. But that will soon change, and I will explain that later. So I think the big picture is there's definitely dual training happening for specialty, for specialty programs now, and actually both have been ongoing for a very long time. How do these two types of opportunities benefit um, medical officers who want to undergo training? I presume that um, being able to do the on-the-job training for Parallel Pathway is, is, is a good um, opportunity for those who can't um, take the full time to pursue a master's? Yeah, but things have changed dramatically 
after the initial master's program were introduced solely in the university setting, the subsequent uh, master's program, the clinical master's, will have the candidates, even though they're registered with the university, are also trained in Ministry of Health Hospital. So we must understand that the university master's program are not, uh, the candidates are not just placed in university hospitals, but they are mainly placed, majority are in the Ministry of Health hospitals. So these hospitals in Ministry of Health will have both candidates in the parallel pathway, good and summer use uh, also are those for the parallel pathway. So what, I mean, so the, both, both university and the parallel pathway. So, so they actually have even the same trainers, the master's program will actually, or the university who offers the master's program will formally appoint the Minister of Health um, specialist as the supervisors as well for the master's program. So same training places occurring in Ministry of Health Hospital, but the same uh, trainers as well by the MOA specialist. So there's really already collaboration going on there, uh, but this possibly needs to be strengthened further. So what exactly are the problems faced by the Parallel Pathway Programme right now? It's actually quite murky if I'm just trying to read from news reports and, and statements. So um, if you could clear the air as much as possible from the standpoint of the Academy. Sure. Uh, and I think to understand the current problem better, allow me to touch briefly on the historical aspect. Uh, AMM initiated and administered the National Specialist Register, or NSR, for 11 years before the enforcement of the Medical Act on 1st July 2017. So from the very beginning, when the NSR was launched in 2006, the trainees from the parallel pathway with qualifications awarded by the overseas colleges who had completed training locally were able to be registered as a specialist on NSR, which means that these specialist qualifications awarded by the overseas colleges were already listed on the NSR before the enforcement of the Medical Act in 2017. And these qualifications should continue to be recognized by the Malaysian Medical Council. So, so basically here, what we're saying is, even if you look at the trainers who are training the candidates in the either parallel or the university program, they also possibly have the qualification, the specialist qualification awarded by the overseas colleges and they're all competent. So there is no question that these qualifications is not new. They have been on the NSR and should continue to be uh, recognized uh, as a qualification to be on the NSR. But as reported by the College of Surgeons in the press statement dated 12 February, there, there was a problem with the listing of a few of these qualifications. So uh, uh, in the sense that this has uh, um, led to some of the surgical trainers who had completed at least six years of training uh, and unable to register in the NSR. So there is a need, a, a great need, 
to have action taken immediately to rectify whatever listening error that has occurred. And that was what was highlighted by the College of Surgeons. I sincerely do not believe that the power uh, pathway is really in danger um, of actually having problems that really had led to um, the specialists themselves unable to be, or rather the trainees themselves unable to be registered on the NSR. So just to be clear, what you have explained is not that um, if we give the example of the um, surgical candidates um, who completed their six years of training but are now not recognised in the NSR, it's not because they suddenly underwent a different kind of um, uh, certification compared to their peers. Yeah. So, so the um, criteria or rather the um, requirements to be uh, on the NSR rest not just on the qualification, but there are also other requirements. So what is currently done, and this is exactly the same from the very beginning when NSR was lost, launched in 2006, now, in addition to having the qualification, the evaluation process to enter into the specialist register requires you to show evidence of completion of training and have achieved all the competencies required for the uh, upon completion of training to enter the register. So all these are um, really evaluated in detail, not just looking at the qualification. So the, the concerns possibly also related to that because there have been uh, claims that there may be lack of structured training in the parallel pathway program. So I think one of this uh, myths have to be addressed because currently what MOH refers to the parallel pathway specialist training refers to the 15, 15 training programs that's uh, currently run by MOH, which are structured supervised training in MOH facilities for trainees who have opted to seek for international exams. So they're no longer not structured. And going forward, we have other ways to ensure that this is done collaboratively, uh, including with the Dean's Council and the universities having, later we'll explain, the national curriculum. Is there any reason to think that there may be concerns about the competencies of the graduates um, who have come out of the parallel pathway program, Prof? Yeah, so the competencies are assessed separately during the evaluation process to enter the register. So I, I do not believe that we can uh, make a general statement that there are lacking in competencies. Let the relevant body assess this properly and make judgments. So the requirement of having a qualification which is recognized as one, but the completion of training and achieving the necessary uh, fitness to practice as a specialist will also be looked at in detail, including looking at the uh, logbooks, looking even at the supervisor's report, and then many other core procedures that's necessary to be entered into the logbook, which are achieved by the candidates. So that should not be a general statement. There is a problem there. It needs to be assessed, and the best assessment will be done 
by the committee which has been assigned to do this in MMC. So, the Academy um, of Medicine, Prof, has noted that there is a need to harmonise the national training programmes in keeping with laws, regulations and standards. Can you explain what are the aspects that need to be harmonised right now? You talked earlier about the need to strengthen. Um, in which aspects are there inconsistencies? Okay, so, so I think using the national postgraduate medical curriculum launched by the Medical Dean's Council of Public Universities in 2021, I think it was a great example that some of the strengthening has been done by just adopting this national curriculum, which is a great collaborative effort between not just the universities, but members from Ministry of Health and also the Academy of Medicine Malaysia, representing the medical professional societies and the private sector. And this has paved the way to unify or harmonize the both master's program and the parallel pathway of these uh, training for specialists. So the main, um, uh, the harmonization that was done, clearly outlined in the national curriculum, includes looking at similar entry and exit criteria similar structured supervised specialist training. And again, looking at what are the components of the exit criteria to define completion of training, including again, achieving the uh, competencies required by the specialty. And this is all done in a unified and structured manner. And the only difference is the qualifying exams where the Parallel Pathway will take the overseas um, colleges exam and the masters will use the local um, masters exam. So this uh, is something which has already happened for a few years. Uh, and this is something which has even strengthened uh, further when MOH has shown its commitment to implement the Parallel Pathways specialist training according to the national curriculum. And many of the MOH specialists have also attended the same train-the-trainers workshop jointly or mainly conducted by trainers from the universities. So both the masters and the parapahway specialist training are implemented according to the national uh, curriculum, which meets the standards and the specialty specific requirements by the regulatory authority. You mentioned that these, uh, this national postgraduate medical curriculum is administered or, or, or it comes under the Medical Dean's Council. That, I, I guess, for, for the layperson, we're talking about there's Malaysian Medical Council and then there's the Medical Dean's Council. They're two different bodies with different um, scopes of responsibility, right? Oh, yes. So um, maybe I should have explained that, yeah. So the Malaysian Medical uh, Council is the regulatory authorities when it comes to registration of, of, of specialists. Whereas the Medical Dean's Council uh, represents deans from the medical school of um, public universities. And they have actually been, uh, been having an, a national conjoined committee from the very beginning when they actually launched the master's uh, program uh, way back in the uh, uh, 1970s, um, when it was first beginning, 
Of course, it was just done by one university, and subsequently, more and more universities uh, offer the master's program, and they decided to come together and have conjoined exam. So to really unify this at the master's program level. And they have actually done a few curriculum reviews and in the, in the uh, I'm not sure what year it is, but at least 10 years ago, they, when they had this major curriculum review, they actually decided that it's best done with the Ministry of Health and the other stakeholders to develop a unifying and structured program. So this is actually done, uh, initiated by uh, the Medical Dean's Council or the University of Malaya did this, but with all the other stakeholders. And I think this was a very great move and that has been launched in 2021. And again, uh, during the 50 year celebration recently, also shown that this has grown tremendously to actually help to um, harmonize training uh, for the masses and now even for the parallel pathway. So that's a great achievement. Having said that though, are we still lacking a unifying agency to oversee both of these dual um, programs? Uh, yes, I completely agree. So a unifying body with joint governance, combining both the Ministry of Health and Ministry of Higher Education is desperately needed to have a national oversight or specialist training in the country. So at the specialty level, this is already happening. There's already a conjoint committee for each specialty with representatives from the universities, the Ministry of Health and the Academy of Medicine to ensure the harmonization and the collaborative approach that we mentioned on the implementation of the national curriculum. However, what is severely lacking is a national level body to oversee specialist training. And we need to bring together all relevant stakeholders in one platform. And that can surely facilitate cooperation between all training providers and will also allow maximal utilization of the expertise and facilities available in MOH, universities, and even perhaps the private hospitals also in the very near future, in, um, enhancing private-public partnership that's always been taken about, uh, talking about, but not fully uh, optimized in many of the areas, including specialist training. So then would, would this body, uh, governing body, um, displace the Malaysian Medical Council's role in regulate, uh, you know, regulating uh, the qualifications, for instance, in any way? No. So we have to actually uh, put at arm's length regulatory body from the training providers. But at the same time, they should have um, regular stakeholder engagement between the two or them having involved as representative in each other may also be useful. So I think we need to actually um, realize that regulatory bodies on one hand will set the standards, will put the minimum requirements for the specialist training, but from the ETP or the education training providers perspective, which include both the universities and Minister of Health, 
and sometimes even professional uh, bodies are involved when it comes to especially subspecialty training. So they will have to align with the standards and the specialty specific requirements by the regulatory body. So I think um, there should not be uh, together, but at the same time, they must be engaged and make sure that, you know, there is one on one hand, this national committee on the training providers aspect, and the other, the regulatory authority of setting standards and enabling people to be registered on NSR. So that's under the MMC. All right. We'll go for another quick break and come back to continue the conversation with Professor Dr. Rosmawati Mohammad, Master of the Academy of Medicine Malaysia. We are discussing the Parallel Pathway Program uh, as well as the Master's Program, um, basically uh, for specialist training in Malaysia and what are the challenges that we're seeing um, in terms of uh, training and producing new specialists in Malaysia. We will get to some questions after the break, but in the meantime, continue to WhatsApp them in at 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio or call us at 03-777-33-2900. Stay tuned. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shawik, and my guest joining me on Zoom today, Professor Dr. Rosmawati Mohammad, Master of the Academy of Medicine Malaysia, shedding light for us on the specialist training um, programs uh, that are available in Malaysia for medical officers. Um, and uh, those two are the master's programs as well as the parallel pathway program, the latter of which we've been focusing more on because uh, there have been news reports related to some challenges that um, doctors are facing in this program right now. Um, I want to address some questions that we've gotten. The first one, uh, Prof, is um, from Robert, who would like to know whether the fellowship exams, for instance, administered um, by Australia or the UK, are they more difficult than the local master's programs? Well, if you look at the uh, passing rate for some of the fellowships, the passing rate is actually um, lower compared to the passing rate of the master's uh, exams. So um, whether or not difficult, it's reflected by that, yes, people do struggle. Uh, specialist exams are not easy. You need the required knowledge um, and, and must know the skills before even uh, having the requirement to seek for the exam. So, yeah, so the, the passing rate can be as low as 10 to 20% for some of those exams. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on, I mean, um, we presume that um, high standards should be maintained um, regardless exactly. of um, who administers and, and where these programs are, right? That's right. So, uh, so basically, it's not a reflection at all on that the candidates are not trained properly. It, it's, it's more on really, they have not, they will not, um, and especially also university uh, masters also, will not lower standards just to make sure that you, a lot more people pass. You need to have the requirements. And we have Denise who is asking, how do we encourage MBBS graduates to pursue specialist training, um, whether it's, I, I presume she's asking um, a parallel pathway, for instance, but, uh, you know, I, I would like to expand her question a little bit. 
um, to also ask, are there challenges that we're facing now uh, when it comes to encouraging medical officers to pursue specialist training? Well, um, truthfully, there's never shortage of people wanting to enter specialist training. So I think more important is the exposure they had, the actual mentor that they actually um, have at the uh, training level when they are in MBBS really helps to actually mold them to say, yes, this is something I'd like to do. But you can never be certain, uh, even after completion of MBBS, that this is what I want to do, except for very few. Some are very determined, this is what they want to do. I mean, for example, if you actually had a very good um, mentor during your training days and uh, undergraduate days, you, you, you will probably even want to be uh, doing an elective, that means a posting, uh, which is usually um, given a chance in the third year of MBBS um, training to be exposed in a specialty that you may want to pursue. And, and this is how people develop interests. But some develop interests while they're doing internship as well. So it's very much, um, you know, um, more one is exposure. And I, I always feel that having good examples from the teachers will also help to steer them towards uh, the specialist training that they want to pursue. So no simple answer to that. But uh, variations in why do people want to get into specialist training? And majority would want to do that. And unlike the, at the very beginning, when there are very few doctors, you know, there were always the need first to have general practitioners. So most people become general practitioners. So the specialist training only became uh, available in this country, as I said, in the 1970s by the university master's exam. So most who had interest had to go overseas to actually have their specialist qualification. Which meant, obviously, you know, um, numbers would be limited, right, in terms of Very the resources. So. Yeah. Very much so. What yeah. other gaps do you think need to be closed so that we can produce more specialists to meet our country's needs? Okay. So I think whatever it is, we must focus that currently we have the current scenario of dual training pathways, the masters and the parallel. And there are already trainees who have registered in either masters or parallel pathway. So for now, every effort, the one thing that we must do first is strengthen both training programs so that the trainees who are in training are able to register on the NSR upon completion of training and practice as competent specialists. So that's our ultimate aim. We must really focus on the current scenario where we have dual training and what we actually need to do. How can we strengthen this? And I think one of the, one of the great moves um, recently, uh, last year, was the stand from the Medical Dean's Council on Specialist Training, which emphasizes that although local master's program need to be prioritized. The parallel pathway specialist training must coexist to demand, to meet the demand of specialists in the country. 
So for specialists with dual training pathway, what Ministry of Health has also done for this year, the 2024 intake, they've allocated 70% of training places for masters and 30% for the parallel pathway. So this is a great move again to prioritize local programs. But as long as there are trainees who have registered or rather undergoing the parallel pathway training programs, we cannot ignore them. Again, every effort is about strengthening. So what are the ways we had proposed to strengthen? So we have had several meetings with the Medical Dean's Council and MOH to assist and strengthen the implementation of the unified and structured specialist training. For example, for specialties with many trainees or rather people who wants to get into training, we propose a central registration system for both masters and parallel pathways, which can input all training centers available nationally, as well as the trainers at each of the training center. And by doing that, we can maximize the training, uh, we can know what are the training places available for that specialty. And therefore, we can also monitor the trainer, the trainee ratio at each training center, because each training center will have both the masters and the parallel pathway, which are independently being monitored by the two different programs. So at least having a, a central registration system will have optimized the uh, training places. And the second thing also which we can do better is also having a way of monitoring the, the structured training better with an e-portfolio. And this is another effort done by the Medical Dean's Council for a few specialties they started with to further strengthen the documentation of structured specialist training and work-based assessment. So there are other ways. Maybe also we can think about having a common exit committee, not having uh, one committee to, um, to assess all the, the trainees for the specialty, but your exit committee, for example, the parallel pathway to have representatives from the uh, universities as well to make sure that they have been following the same sort of uh, criteria of, uh, of completion of training as what the universities have done. So again, the other thing that has happened to strengthen is um, in over the years, AMM and its colleges have signed several MOUs with overseas colleges for the parallel pathway specialist training. And the latest have actually included the University of Malaya. And I believe this is the first MOU with an overseas college, which included a university as a collaborating partner. And this can provide local oversight of the training program. And even in the MOU itself, the commitment uh, have been outlined by all parties to work together to achieve and maintain the highest standard of specialist practice through education, training, assessment. So this is a good move to actually have both, again, the university and the parallel pathway working together. And that's already happened. And it can even be improved further for the other parallel pathway programs. 
So the thing is, Prof, you've outlined so clearly that the principles are there, the framework is there. Um, But at the same time, you've also given me an idea of how complicated this can be, just in terms of the fact that there are so many bodies, so many universities, ministries, um, agencies involved. I'm going to ask a cheeky question here. Is there territorialism that's sort of standing in the way of making all this work? In in every situation, there will will be people who may not agree, but in principle, we have to look what does the majority wants to do. And I think ultimately, we must have the national interest at heart. And I think what is the current big picture is what um, has been really emphasized by YBMK, when he had the pledge to promptly resolve specialist training, and he said that never lose sight of the forest for the trees. And that should serve as a reminder to all of us that this must be pursued based on national interest. And it must be in keeping, of course, with the laws, regulations, and standards. But the ultimate aim is to achieve the country's urgent need for competent specialists to ensure a high quality of Malaysia specialist service. So we have to really have that in mind. So whatever you say, don't go killing each other. We just need to work together. And I'm sure there are ways to resolve the issues that have been uh, put forward by the various groups. So that's a very clear message to stakeholders. Can I ask you to wrap up with some advice for trainees or even medical officers who are thinking of pursuing specialization, who are looking at all these developments, wondering what's going on, feeling anxious? What's your advice to them? Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. And I think the, the ones truly affected are trainees uh, who, like you mentioned earlier, who had completed training and wasn't able to register. So imagine what's going on to the trainees who are in training, not even completed yet. What's the future? I mean, we have to find ways to resolve this soon. We cannot put them in such a limbo for a long time. We must really make sure that, find ways to see how this can be resolved so that ultimate, ultimately, they can be registered. So, so so far, I think the other thing that we have to also understand that we were all talking about specialists and the how there's shortage. We were talking mainly on the human resource part. But again, specialist care is not just about the, the human resource. Equally important are the other developments as well. So, so uh, for example, you need the physical development, such as development of healthcare infrastructure, mm-hmm. initiatives to increase the human resource for health. So if you don't have the infrastructure, you also you can have places where this uh, specialist in training um, can uh, have their training. So, so the main message is that you know, do what you want to do if your interest is actually to become a specialist there are ways to make sure that this can happen. And I'm very confident with YBMK's pledge to resolve specialist training issues that as part of his 100-day KPI, this can be achieved. 
We'll be keeping our eye on YBMK's 100-day KPI then. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with me today, Professor Dr. Rosmawati Mohamad, Master of the Academy of Medicine Malaysia. We've been discussing the Parallel Pathway Programme for Specialist Training. This has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.